0: Hi, this is Pastor Frank at First Discipleship Christian Talk. just want to welcome you to this episode. This episode is As a Christian Native American Part 11. I want to pick up where I left off um, since the last episode on the summation of Henneprocero. And if you don't know who Henneprocero is, go back and listen to the episodes because it is important to know um, I've done a lot of study, a lot of deep study for people to understand, um, specifically in California, the natives. Now, it is, this is not exhaustive, and I don't claim it to be, but it's information that I think would help you if you're studying this type of uh, uh, history and you're interested in, in the truth. These, these podcasts will help you and point you in the right direction and how to research uh, without uh, as much biased as possible because there's a lot of hatred, you know, that I know, being Native American myself in California, it is, it is hard to not get upset once you learn some of the deeper truths. And, and I'm just scratching the surface. There's a lot of uh, personal stories out there from families that aren't recorded in any books, but they're just oral history of each individual family from, from the border uh, of Mexico, San Diego, all the way up into to the Oregon border and northern California border, and as far as east as Nevada and, and and you know there's a lot of natives. Uh, tribes that were along the border of all these states that we we now um have the borders of each state that were on california not on california and so there's a lot of history and a lot of families some with history that's erased that they don't know who they are you know maybe doing a um, a dna you know an ancestry, you know history check, and and they find out they they're Native American. They just don't know where, I don't know who they maybe the region, but they they're completely lost of who they are, and so those are the ones, I think that are minimized some of these things. Uh, I I get it, and, and there's some that aren't, but I get I hear the ones, but I hear the ones that are like you know we're happy as catholics we're happy you know we're we're native and you know they don't even know their their language they oh, they just know spanish you know but they're native and um they're okay with that they're okay with it now only because th- there's no suffering but little do they know they are survivors now russell means was going to write a book called Indian Killers. And um, he didn't get a chance to write it. He died, I believe, at the age of 72. And it was basically uh, about uh, 12 iconic heroes of Western civilization. Um, Their reputations uh, were based on uh, murdering Indians. And one of the people that made that list was Hennepro Serra. This is a Native American calling Hennepro Serra uh, an Indian killer. This is somebody who has spent his entire life um, knowing American history uh, between the United States government and the Native people of the United States. So this is... um. I wouldn't call him an expert, but I definitely would say that he knew a lot more than than anybody else on the subject when it comes to uh, justice and injustice. Um, I'm sure the people that he talked to have told him things. There's a lot of information that more than likely died with him that he wasn't able to you know, put down. But uh, he definitely made, Hennepa uh, Sarah made that list. Now, I didn't call him that. Russell called him that, but I can't sit here and say that I completely disagree with him. Now the timeline—if we pick up where you know where this began—the timeline basically started in in Mesoamerica. That's pretty much where it where it began because it the Mesoamerican uh, natives um, encountered the Spanish uh, conquistadors. The explorers, I mean, it's a nicer way of saying Conquistador is the Spanish Exploral or Colonial Period. Um, it doesn't sound as ominous. It takes, it takes the edge off of the blade. So I'll start with the um, the Spanish Colonial Period, which is 1769 to 1821. And then the Quasi-War with France in 1798 to 1801. Russian colonization from 1812 to 1841, Um, Fort Ross of North Alta California, uh, and as far as um, to the Sonoma Coast, which is my neck of the woods. Um, In addition to Fort Elizabeth, 1817 in Hawaii, and I bet you didn't know about that. So Mexico's independence in 1810 from Spain, And on August 24, 1821, Spain withdrew and officially recognized Mexico as an independent country. So the the proclamation of emancipation of Indians on July 25, 1826, all California Indians within the military districts of San Diego, Santa Barbara, and Monterey, and the ones who were qualified or freed from mission or missionary rule and made eligible to become Mexican citizens. And I'm not really sure the benefit of that, but you know, if you know your history, you you you're gonna, you know, research this or you know know what I'm talking about. Those who wished to remain under mission tutelage or guardianship, whatever you want to call it. They were exempt from most forms of corporal punishment. And if you want to know what the, the missions uh the friars um did to the to the Alta California Indians or the, the California Indians, let me just put it this way the the longest lifespan of a California missions Indian under the, the missions um guardianship, if that's what you want to call it was 10 years. That was their lifespan because they worked them to death. They gave them poor living conditions, cramped up in these small rooms, sleeping together, side by side like sardines, and dehydration, malnourishment, getting the diseases that the Spanish brought over. The women um, raped, contracting syphilis, having children, Out of wedlock, which is, these are Catholic people, by the way, Uh, children out of wedlock that were um, half Spanish and half California native, children that were um, sick due to the syphilis and then dying before a year old, and then women uh, contracting syphilis, men, the native men also contracting syphilis from having sex with women who had syphilis, the, the native women. Because you got to remember that the native women were the only men, the only women in uh, Alta California at the the time of the missions. There's no Spanish women there. It's just native women. So these men are these soldiers, and these men come over, and they don't bring women with them or children. But you're there. They're there for like you know over a hundred years. You think they're just gonna be like, oh, we're gonna be you know abstinent? No. There was a lot of rape, there was gang rape, there was uh, there was all different types of uh, sexual sins. On a side note of this fact, an unknown percentage of California Indian population assimilated or acculturated as Mexicans. Now regarding the Spanish missions that were secularized in 1833, now secularized means they were... Put out of commission. They they didn't. They were not able to function as a um, the missions as they were set by Spain to take the indigenous population and make them good Catholics at their you know mission goal, and that is to basically save the save the man, uh, but kill the Indian. So basically, you're secularizing, and this is what happened to the missions. They were secularized, so they're no longer. The, the, the process that it took to take, to bring Indians as into so-called good Catholics, that, that stopped. So basically the missions became just a church and they, the natives can come and go as they please. They're, they're not stuck there. They're not part of the mission. They were basically slaves. And now that it was secularized, they, the, the friars didn't have power to keep anybody there against their will. So the missions would have to, um, could only hold title as a worship chapel. So the priests uh, basically um, were only able to keep a small amount of land surrounding the, the church, you know, like as a garden or whatever. And in some missions, all of the buildings were lost. Now you see, that part always interested me because even Mexicans are Catholics Maybe it's just a new Spain's Catholicism that kind of rubbed the Mexicans the wrong way. The fact that Mexico emancipated the Indians right away from the missions tells me at least this, that they were against the maltreatment of indigenous people. Now, they may not have agreed the way the Spanish Catholic Catholicism dealt with the, the natives, but if you know the history of Mexico they may not have done to the indians what the the spanish catholics did but if you know the history you're going to see that it didn't help them either and, and mexico didn't necessarily help them in the way that they uh, in the way that the indians needed to i guess adjust now continuing on august 9th 1834 outlining the requirements for the distribution of property Land, cattle, and equipment. Uh, the, this is what went to each. What was supposed to at least go to each mission's Indian. And among this provision, was um, at the head of each of the families, twenty years or older, will be given uh, the mission's land. Um, so basically, the, the the missions, the land that the missions owned or had or that were working. The the natives there, the 20-year-olds and older, were given, you know, not over 28 acres, but no less than seven acres. Plus one half of the livestock and half or less of the existing personal possessions like tools and seed. So whatever the, the, uh, the missions accomplished in the time that they were in operation, the natives that were there, they got... A piece of the pie and so this was it was fair it sounds fair it sounds right actually but the only problem is that native americans aren't farmers they could talk to they you know were taught to farm and they could farm but that's not their preoccupation and sadly this is what they were taught over generations now still today you still have, you still see the the remnants of this, the ranches, the Native Americans in Southern California uh, ranchers. That the, the, it's there. You could, all you have to do is look, you'll see a a a legacy of the uh, of this, but well, it didn't turn out like like they said it was going to turn out. It would have been nice, I guess. So the the act uh, also provided. For the colonization of both Alta California and Baja California. Now we're talking about Mexico. So Mexico, the land in Mexico wasn't enough. So moving north to expand uh, was something that they wanted to do because, for whatever reason, maybe they, maybe it was the land. I don't know if you've ever been to Baja California or have you flown to Mexico and you look out the window and you look at Baja California. It's like a desert you don't see anything green. so I could see why there's not a lot of places in Baja California and it's not a thriving place it's a very dry very arid very sandy silt The expenses um, of this latter move was to gain momentum by the proceeds gained from the sale of the missions land and some of the buildings to private parties and many started, ranches so if you ever know want to know where the, uh, the the rancheros came from and the um and the ranches and the uh you know you hear about that it's from this in california so the ranches were made uh, up of former missions pasture land and this was divided um into large land grants so the The land grants is, is a very, very interesting topic only because it uh, I, I kind of, when I read this, what I gathered is that you have Mexico trying to gain more land other than what they had. And in California, the land was a lot better. The weather, you know, as we know, it, California is a self-sustaining state because of, of the climate, it's like really good climate and growing things and such. The pasture lands were rich. And so in order to gain more of this land, they would have to give land grants to people. Now, when you get land grants, your granted land makes something of it. And I don't know how that worked. And honestly, I, I've never got that far in studying this and whether to see how they paid for it or whether it was given to them over a period of time. Maybe they made something. I honestly don't know the the bureaucracy and the political aspect that surrounds that, but I do know, I think his name was Marion Marion Vallejo, of uh, Sonoma, was given a gigantic piece of land, and he called it his own. So honestly, I really don't know how. I'm not going to sit here and act like I know how that works, but I know that that was theirs, and it was. And at the towards his demise, he had to sell that land. So obviously, he owned it to some degree. So the, what this did was when when the the uh, this act it gave private people it gave people in power also you know land holdings in Alta California or California. So the California Indians did not receive any of what they were promised by this act. And they were basically pushed out by the Mexican ranchers or if they weren't pushed out, they were used as low paid, labor ranch hands. In any case, the Indians were not able to return to their former life, religion, and traditions. So many of the, the missions Indians were were Catholics. Because if you think about it, that's the only thing they were exposed to other than their own religion. And a lot of that religion is lost, by the way. A lot of it's lost. The and that's going to be another podcast. As I go further into this, we're going to go into the the religion of California Indians, because uh, so much of the erasure by the Catholic Church has taken place. Only rags and tags and remnants of what the religion uh, used to be is all that's left. It's just just crumbs. And there's one thing that I've noticed. There's like a coalition or a um, condensing of m- mixed and, and matched religions of California Indians, and then there's like this one way to do things. One that's not how it was, and so because a lot of the traditions of the native uh, tribes that were throughout. Uh, California, from San Diego to the, the the border of Mexico, all the way to the border of Oregon, and also to the east to you know Nevada and such. Lost, and the reason why I say that is because if if there were and, and this is the the estimates and and it's really hard to know the estimates because there's so many different variables when it comes to the comes to the population count of the total Indians in pre contact pre Columbian contact. Some say 300,000, but I'm thinking like, how would they know that? They never really took a census. They didn't really know. They, didn't, they were discovering the land. They, so how could they know the tribes on there? How do they know the, the, the natives? And then the, the diverse uh, languages, not similar language, diverse. All there were different dialects. There were different pronunciations and such. But they were able to know each other's languages, the neighboring tribes, and even further ones to trade. Now, if you have... Okay, well, let's just use their number, 300,000. I'm thinking more of a million. But let's just, for argument's sake, let's just use their 300,000 number. At the end of the turn of the century into uh, 1900, from 1899 to 1900... The estimates are 24,000 to 30,000 Native Americans, California Indians, left that they were just started to put on reservations. Now you're talking 270,000. And this is the 300,000 estimate. The 270,000 Native Americans dead by disease, being hunted, overworked, right out killed, ran away. There's a lot of different variables here. But the point is, is that there was just a handful of people left. Now, that's from border to border. East, the eastern border of California, the northern, the southern border, and and, and the western border of California, there was only a handful of that number left. So, It's fair to say that the identity of the Native American of California had lost a lot in the process of this genocide.